Good evening. Here you have Nick Newman, cartoonist, and Ian Hislop, editor of Private Eye, which is dead heating with the National Theatre having a 50th anniversary this year. Applause, please. <laughs> <laughs> that is Nick Newman's hand scribbling away there. Um, it's amazing that he's got this third hand. Uh, <laughs> you can stop it now. You can stop it. Ah. Yes, we've heard enough of you. Gone. Right, see, that's the kind of thing <laughs> editors say. Uh, I am Libby Purvis. I am a lifelong cartoon addict and a private eye early adopter. I was 13. You weren't born, were you? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> were you born, Nick? No. God, this is so terrible. that's the gallantry out the way. <laughs> um, we've got a whole set of cartoons to show you and to discuss what it's all about and how important the cartoon has been in the noble history of Private Eye. I think we just ought very briefly to sort of set ourselves in this historical, respectable perspective since we are at the National Theatre by showing, let's show us something very early. This is a cartoon drawn by Willie Rushton in the very first. Um, uh, issue of the magazine and it uh, says Lloyd George knew my mother <laughs> uh, so that's that sort of set the tone for cartoons uh, from then yes. on yes sexual shenanigans yes. no yes. proper respect for politicians it's kind of Boris knew my mother now isn't it <laughs> it's kind of, kind of you can recycle that, that one <laughs> um, that's quite similar too isn't it Anything, anything else from that very, very early moment? Uh, well, uh, very quickly, once uh, in the early days, to, um, Willie Rushton basically uh, did almost all the cartoons for the magazine. And uh, very soon uh, there were emigres from um, Punch and um, the, uh, the Spectator coming on board and, and doing, uh, uh, joining the team. And uh, one of the first was, was Gerald Scarf, who was then working for um, Punch and doing very, very uh, traditional cartoons of, of desert islands and men on window ledges and all that sort of thing, which you wouldn't associate with a scarf now. But Willie Rushton was the, the person who said, you should try caricature. And it sort of changed um, Scarf's life. Um, and that's here he is with Lynn, Lyndon Johnson, um, sucking up to him. And of course, we have a, there, there is a modern equivalent, isn't there? There was one of... Um, Indeed. And uh, this is, I mean, that cartoon has... Um, uh, Harold Wilson, and uh, the, the tongue was edited out by Richard Ingrams. <laughs> um, it was a terrific prude, un Richard. Unlike this one, which I... Was, was that your...? <laughs> that was me. Which <laughs> <laughs> shows how um, taste has changed over the years. <laughs> now, that's our political credibility now established. Uh, so, but what I have been delighted about in this wonderful book, uh, which we shall be, be forcing you to come and buy signed copies of afterwards, um, is that there's such a strong emphasis on the gag cartoon. Rather, I mean, Ian, political cartoons kind of have it all their own way, don't they? They have big retrospectives and they're considered important. Yes, and they get more space and, and, and they do the caricature and people think, well, that's proper humour. And often it's not, not, not very funny. Um, which is, you often notice in newspapers, there's a big cartoon with Ed Miliband and the trade unions, and you go, hmm, that's so true. <laughs> uh, but you don't actually laugh at all. Um, Nick, Rest. when we were younger, used to call them chin strokers. Whereas <laughs> mm. uh, right, so something like that. <laughs> if, anyone is... can't, if anyone can't read captions, just shout. <laughs> My tap's been phoned. <laughs> Uh, which is drawn by Neil Bennett, who was a, a, a teacher for uh, uh, 
um, until about the age of 45 and then packed it in to become a cartoonist. So it's never too Quite late to start. Quite a few of them start. do that. My friend Bill Stott did that as well. I think teachers probably do a lot of scribbling while they're invigilating, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> it goes on. The great thing about the gag cartoons is they are just timeless. So in any retrospective, and a lot of this book, you find it's just brilliant one-off jokes that aren't really about anything in particular, or about everything. Um, but the, the satirical stuff tends to date... Um, whereas if you've got, um, you know, just a straight-up joke... Um, Give us the hedgehog. Give us the hedgehog. Yeah. Well, you can't do much better than Ed McLaughlin. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is... Following on from the 60s, the um, style of jokes became much more surreal, and it sort of coincided with Monty Python and whatever. But Ed McLaughlin specialised in giant animals, um, rabbits rampaging through the... The, through the town. There's a fantastic one he did of the cricket, of, um, uh, of um, the Oval Cricket Ground. And it's beautifully drawn, incredibly detailed. He draws enormous cartoons. And uh, there's uh, Brian Johnston in the background saying, oh, and plays being suspended because of movement behind the bowler's arm. And there's a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex <laughs> rampaging <laughs> through eating buildings. <laughs> leave, leave, leave that up for a minute, because I think this kind of crushing theme might rather come up. So I want to talk to the pair of you about the relationship between editor and cartoonist, because there is a most heartfelt introduction to this book about that. Um, is that I mean, a whinge, is what you're saying? <laughs> the word whinge does come into it. I mean, Ian, how many cartoons do people submit to you in a, in a working day? Oh, hundreds. I mean, there are huge amounts of cartoons come in, and there's a really, for the cartoonists, just a depressing pile um, of cartoons in my intray. Whereas, as editor, I love going through the cartoons. I love discovering a cartoonist or, or just laughing at the joke. But the end of the process is me writing a note saying, sorry, uh, no thanks. Um, and somewhere in Britain, popping through the door week after week, is my cheery note saying, nope, not funny, uh, no thanks. And yet you, you are one of, the, one of the big users of cartoons. I mean, how many go in an edition normally? Uh, about between 25 and 30, which, you know, as a hit rate, isn't very high. I mean, and I'm using more than most people. But I think from the other end... It fosters, I and mean, this is nothing personal about Nick, but the sort of rather depressive, bitter... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if anybody's met a group cartoonist, we do moan a lot um, about everything. And um, uh, I think it's one of the things that defines you as a cartoonist, if you can handle a lot of rejection, because it's, it sort of goes through everything. Even if you're being, getting stuff accepted you're putting in maybe six rough ideas, and uh, if you're very lucky, um, Ian will take one. And you're left feeling, well, what was wrong with the other five? <laughs> and it's, um, it's um, uh, people get very, very fed up um, with, with the, with the uh, To be a generator, a generator of jokes, a generator of gags, is a really curious life, isn't it? Well, it's a very um, solitary existence, and uh, a lot of the cartoonists, we, we never meet each other, so sort of... A, a, an event like this, you know, maybe somebody will turn up and we'll sort of see you. You see, this is when it gets dull, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Put a gag up. <laughs> well, one of the things that has changed, this is... Uh, one of the things that has come across from doing the, 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 the book is that... Uh, you get a real sense of um, fashions changing and um, from the 60s and 70s. and uh, I mean, today, most of the cartoonists, every batch sends in a... The cartoonists send in 
something about obesity, something about tattoos. Mm. Um, but the brilliant thing about Michael Heath, who's, you know, been cartooning all the way along. <laughs> ah. <laughs> That's one of the other... <laughs> <laughs> this, this brings us <laughs> oh dear hallelujah this brings us to a topic I was going to come to a bit later when I'd softened you up a bit which is a question of taste yes Ian tell me about your parameters of taste well as you can see I'm, I'm pretty strict on taste <laughs> um, now th that um, uh, cartoon I did think was incredibly funny so I put in and a lot of people complained about it, and uh, it came shortly after uh, a French magazine called Charlie Hebdo had put some cartoons about um, Islamic preachers on the front cover, and they'd been burnt down. So I thought what would be really brave would be attacking the C of E. <laughs> <laughs> um. They do have a lot of candles. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the, the militant wing is pretty stroppy-ish. Um, uh, but here's, I mean, here's another uh, appalling taste cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> but it's <laughs> that's by the, 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 the late great Tony Reeve, who died a couple of years ago. But uh, I would defend that. Uh, <laughs> I would defend that because there, there were so many news stories going around about very, very young pregnancies. There are, and, so and, and we, do, we do get letters of objection. I mean, the readers are not slow um, to um, tell you that they're furious um, about jokes, and sometimes the news agents as well. Um, we did a joke with a, um, a mullah talking to a little boy saying, what will you do if you blow up? Um, <laughs> We, we had a certain circulation um, of expats in the Middle East, which we now no longer have. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, but it That's seems it. to be an interesting... Um, let's leave that one there for a moment, because it seems an interesting sort of philosophical question, in that you have to have a line you draw. You're the editor, you've got a magazine, you mustn't sort of go bust, you mustn't alienate everyone. Plus, you're actually... I'm, I'm outing him now, he's a good Christian man, you see, and mm. he's quite moral in himself. So you have to this have... This is libelous. <laughs> but, but you have to have lines you draw, and you do have lines you draw, don't you? There must be some in that My bottom line is I have to be able to defend it. I have to be able to justify the joke to myself, if to no-one else. At a certain point, I have to think, it's OK to say that because that's an issue which needs saying all that. For the cartoonists... I think they just bung it my way and say, well, you'll get the letters. Well, that's what I was going to say to, to Nick. It's actually, in a sense, it's almost important. <laughs> and, and that's, that's a human. That's very bad taste. Yeah. Well, but, there you are, getting the hand clap. <laughs> yeah. but, but the thing is, um, um, but Nick, you, yourself, speaking for the cartoonists, presumably it's quite important in the creative inward process of making cartoons that you don't have any sense of taste, that you just let any awful joke out as we might in the privacy of our own homes, a I bit of black humour. I think cartoonists on the whole have no moral compass whatsoever. It's, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you just don't, I, I mean, one of my problems is I just don't know what is funny, really. I mean, I sort of have a sense of it might be funny, but it's sort of, I leave it to others to, you know, we, we, we tackle difficult subjects. I mean, the day after, um, Diana died, we, we went to press, and um, you sort of felt you had to do something about it. And I did this uh, cartoon, which sort of... 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not tasteless, but you, we had to sort of print it with a little form for cancelling your subscription in the same issue. <laughs> you see, but I, would, I have no problem with that. Um, nor did I have a problem with the cover, which, again, I mean, uh, the cover was actually withdrawn um, uh, because it, it showed some crowds outside Buckingham Palace with someone saying the papers have been appalling and someone else saying, yeah, I couldn't get hold of one anyway. <laughs> and it was a, an attempt to suggest that the general public was complicit in, in some of this intrusiveness. But you do have to watch it. I mean, because we do get magazines just withdrawn completely. Mm. We had a, you know, a picture of the Pope um, giving a, a, a sermon saying, I remember the days when boys used to enter the priesthood. <laughs> Not on sale in Ireland. Uh, yes, but, and there's, there are commercial decisions to be made there, aren't there? There are, but I try, I do try to sort of um, address the commerce afterwards. The interesting thing is, I mean, one joke which um, I, I've forgotten whether it was a cartoon or whether it's just something somebody said was, well, at least, you know, with Afghanistan and Iraq, we're going to have a damn good Paralympic team and all these fit young men. Mm. And in fact, there was a lot of hissing and booing about that, but we did. Yep. <laughs> and mean, it was true. Yes, I mean, and that's. There was a horrible truth in it. I think that's okay. And I think the laughter there is a, is a, is, is a mechanism of saying that's true. I mean, here's a cartoon... Oh, no, this is a very significant one, yes. Explain. Which, uh, I mean, it's your, it was your decision to put that in. It cost rather a lot of money, didn't it? It's Robert Maxwell <laughs> and Neil Kinnock, and it was called His Master's Voice. And, yes, I mean, what you find out um, uh, as an editor is that people object to things you run about them as stories, but they really hate being laughed at by a cartoonist. And Robert Maxwell, we'd n run a number of stories... Um, suggesting he was stealing from his own pension fund and just awful stuff. Um, <laughs> obviously all true. Um, and then we ran a piece saying that um, he'd wanted to get a knighthood. Um, and there's the leader of the Labour Party. And we'd said essentially that Kinnock was um, uh, doing whatever Maxwell said. Um, and Maxwell thought this was an appalling libel. And so this was a rare example of a cartoon being sued. And it came up in the court case... Uh, which is marvellous, because the judge had to put up some sort of um, uh, videophonic device uh, in, order like to show, <laughs> like this, in order to show it to the jury, who then laughed. <laughs> 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 but did you, do, you think that did, um, do you think that did actually damage your case? Yeah, we lost quarter of a million quid. Quarter <laughs> <laughs> million quid for a laugh, yes. What about malice? Do you, do you worry about malice towards individuals? Um, <laughs> no. Uh, uh, yes, of course I do. <laughs> that's pretty, let's have a caption for that. Yeah, that's right. Got Is that, that malicious? Uh, no, it's fond. <laughs> it's <laughs> that's quite sweet. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think, again, as editor, I mean, the cartoonists just bung it out. But I think, on the, on the whole, if I can justify it, that seems reasonable enough. And the idea of a row of tulips who've turned up to meet the prince. And he going, so, how long have you been a tulip? <laughs> Pretty funny. Have you come far? <laughs> have you come far? Thank you. <laughs> one, one no, of the I'm a plant. I can't move. One of the things that we discover, though, generally, is if, uh, on the whole, cartoons don't make much of a difference. I mean, it's only somebody who's incredibly thin-skinned like Robert Maxwell, um, given, which is ironic, given the size of him, <laughs> how much skin he had. 
Um, but uh, uh, most people, you know, you attack a politician and they want to buy the original. The most annoying person to, uh, to sell an original to is Geoffrey Archer, and he, he's an avid collector of cartoons, and particularly ones that say he's a crook, <laughs> uh, he's a bad, terrible novelist. You know, he just buys the lot. That's to annoy you. I'm sure. <laughs> it works. It works. But presumably you can double the price, so that's kind of all right, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he does it through nefarious means. You get this anonymous <laughs> call and it turns out to be Geoffrey Archer. <laughs> you, were, you were saying to me before, and it was saying that, that you would not have wished to be the editor. You would not like to be the one to have to draw the lines and say, actually, that's. It, I, I found this editing this book has been fantastic because it's been a chance to look at great cartoons. But it's a very, very painful process, um, sort of being on the, on the you know, uh, boot being on the other foot and stop, you know, I'm no longer the, um, the lamppost but the dog, you know, and you're having to say, um, you know, to, this isn't going to make the cut. And that's been very hard. And, it's, and particularly, I mean, we, we focused really on the, on the gag cartoons because most of them are timeless. Um, we've included some strip cartoons which... Um, tend to be a bit more topical, uh, but there are some great long-running long strip cartoons like Homsap and um, Celeb by Petey and Taylor, uh, and Yobbs, of course, by Tony Husband. And those, those are, luckily, those are, are sort of pretty timeless, and we've managed to get quite a lot of those in. There is an extraordinary sort of surreal, absurdist, you know, if they were plays, you know, they, they'd be terribly sort of famous and talked about thing in it. There's one in the book, which I know we don't have here. Somebody thinks he's put, the, I've put the batteries in my torch the wrong way round. Oh, you've got it there. There it is. And the torch... <laughs> <laughs> now, if that was the sort of, if that was a line in a Beckett play, you know, we'd be up here discussing it with Nicholas Heitner. <laughs> Not in his lot. It's, it's extraordinary, the well, surrealism. If you, put, if you just put that up again, sorry, Nick. That came in. I thought that was one of the funniest jokes I'd ever seen. And just, I put it in. I don't know who Bob is. He never um, contacted the magazine. He never submitted anything else. Someone out there called Bob is brilliant. <laughs> um, that's it. That's all I know about him. And often that's the case. Cartoonists are quite anonymous. They don't appear. Um, they don't come to London. It's a really, it's not a metropolitan activity. And the, uh, mo the most anonymous of all was um, Kevin Woodcock, who was one of our greatest cartoonists. And um, <laughs> he, he, he lived in Leicester, and he never came to the magazine, and he, uh, he was once seen fleetingly the back of his head in an, an arena documentary about private eye cartoons. Richard Ingram's never met him. When he died, he collected all his stuff up together and, and sent it to the cartoon before he died. He sent it to the, the cartoon museum. And it included piles of invites from private eye to parties and um, gallery openings and everything, but none of which he was just incredibly shy and never wanted to put his... But that is, I think, one of the one great of cartoons ever. <laughs> um, it's about the nature of art and lots of things that would get me into Sood's Corner. Um, the child was right, the, the, the right perception of the child, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, I mean Woodcock, he was very black. I mean, his cartoons had a, a real vein of um, sort of uh, misery, which was very, very funny, and I know that sounds awful. I mean, you know, there would be, um, at Christmas, Woodcock, you'd think, oh, we'll put some Christmas jokes in the magazine, and Woodcock's would be a man goes to plug in um, the fairy lights and electrocutes himself. <laughs> <laughs> 
in the shape of a Christmas tree. So he's <laughs> um, actually they were just incredibly funny. A, lo a lot of the, the, the sort of the, the famous and great cliches of cartoons um, are people in trouble. There's a psychiatrist couch, the desert island, the lemmings going over the cliff. I mean, this the is man on a ledge. This, this is a very familiar. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's shocking, <laughs> but it's... <laughs> and that's, I think, also a very good example of the, the, the fact that you don't actually have to be a brilliant draftsman to be a cartoonist. I mean, if the idea is good, um, you can get away with murder. Um, or <laughs> something else. Um, put up the Hindenburg. I mean, yes, but on the other hand, there's, on the other, uh, uh, there's a cartoonist, Ray Lowry, who did this in the, in the 1970s. Drawing of the Hindenburg blowing up. And it's, I, I, I mean, that's a fantastic piece of artwork, um, as is, sorry, I'm going to just do some good, good examples of fantastic artwork now, if this machine will work. Uh, and this, for me, is one of the, the most beautiful drawings I've ever seen in <laughs> Private Eye. And it says, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Escher, but yes, you will have to fit disabled access. <laughs> I have, I have another cartoon, an original. I can't remember who it's by now, but um, it, it is, again, Escher, who is starting to become one of these, these sort of stock images, and it just has, has a sad little thing that was saying, Escher dreaded bedtime. There's this <laughs> miserable little character of the cartoon. It's at the bottom of my stairs, and, you know, as I struggle sadly up to bed at the end of a long day, it's always there. But the, the flip side of that, of that sort of um, incredibly detailed Giles Pilbrow work, which is, you know, beautiful, is um, somebody like um, David Austin, who just... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's fantastic amateurism, but it, it belies the actual skill of the drawing. And, he, and David used to just sit down and just draw, and he didn't do a sketch, that, and that's what came out, and they were... But interestingly, I mean, that, that's got a little sort of edge of it, of, of Honeyset, and there are people like Honeyset who are extraordinary draftsmen who, who just do these dis wonderful disintegrating people mm. who, who identify with very strongly. Well, uh, Martin Honeyset does incredibly black cartoons. Um, <laughs> it just says you agree to me taking the bits home for my dog. <laughs> and what's... What's brilliant is the, the cheeriness of the surgeon. <laughs> as <he's laughs> and you can imagine that, that uh, there are going to be quite a few bits. <laughs> I, I have to say, I own the original of a very important honey set. I don't know whether it's in the book, but it was in Private Eye, which is, which is a very disintegrating, big wobbly woman sitting in a big chair with sort of pizza thing, pizza cartons and copies of Grazia magazine and empty bottles and so on. And her husband is in the doorway, he's turning and saying, and another thing, that lifestyle guru of yours is a bloody waste of money. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, strong identification again. But the clever thing is, I was going to ask you, Nick, about captions, because sometimes in that caption, it's the words, and another thing, which kind of place it, don't yes, they? Yes, sort of, it's sort of capturing a moment in, in, um, uh, in uh, almost sort of like coming in the middle of a sitcom, isn't it? It's sort of... Um, I mean, so I, I think my own... One of, one of my favourite uh, cartoonists is Larry, and he managed to work almost entirely, a bit like Kevin Wilcock, without doing any captions at all. And this is a classic Larry um, from the, 19, <laughs> the 1960s. And um, interestingly, Larry was... Uh, one of his biggest fans was Harpo Marx. Yes. 
But they are moments. I mean, we're in a theatre here, and they're going to have some play about some bloke who strangles his wife, aren't they, later on tonight? Yeah, um, very bad taste. Yeah. But it, it, they are little frozen moments of, of drama, aren't they? You're coming in in the middle of a story, and you're just catching a tiny little moment, and that's the cartoon. I mean, that... Yes, I think I, 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 think I put in my very pretentious introduction. Um, the joy of it is, is you are thinking, well, they've observed something, frozen it, and then made it um, more or less sort of permanent. What do you feel, though, as an editor, when the, I mentioned the, the, the clichés, the psychiatrist, couch, desert island, lemmings, ledgers, and now Escher, are you, do you start to sort of go, oh, when a psychiatrist couch one comes in, or are you always, always up for it? No, I'm, I'm pretty much up for it. You think, oh, I've seen everything there is before. Um, and then suddenly someone sent me a drawing of a, a very, very um, red, furious bird sitting on a psychiatrist's couch um, and someone saying, so, um, uh, do you feel angry, bird? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I suddenly thought, well, the next generation has, you know, yeah. done the psychiatrist thing. Or there's another one of a man, there's the psychiatrist sitting there and there's the chair there, and there's a man, furiously red, trapped inside a bottle, just like that, exploding out in the psychiatrist saying, I think we've got some issues in getting out a corkscrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I mean, very deep. I, I've felt like that in my time. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I think there's always a new variant. And I, you know, private eye is nothing if not repeated jokes um, <laughs> with slight variations over many centuries. Um, and I love, I love seeing jokes again. With it's, a slight twist. It's one of the challenges for cartoonists when we, we get together. The, you know, who has managed to get a desert island joke into a paper um, or a desert uh, or a, a man on a window ledge gag? It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a badge of honour if, you, if you've cracked it. Uh, that, in a yes. serious way, to talk about the problem of the decline of cartoon places to have cartoons. Private eye is important, isn't it? Oh, the old is quite important. The newspapers, less and less. They um, use fewer jokes. Other magazines, Lesnar's Saga's it's, sort of doing quite well. It's a real problem. I mean, since the demise of Punch, um, which is about, sort of, uh, about 11 years ago or so, a huge market for cartoons has just disappeared. So it's really only Private Eye and The Spectator and The Oldie are now sort of you know, keeping the torch alight. Um, it I mean, seems to be incredibly short-sighted because I'm, most of the cartoonists believe that nobody buys Private Eye for anything that's written. Um, <laughs> Uh, they genuinely believe that, and they just think it should be all big cartoons with some very small captions. Um, and the and newspapers feel they ought to have topicality, don't they? Always. Yes. So you get, I mean, br some brilliant pocket cartoonists like, like Matt and so on, but actually just a real ordinary joke cartoon wouldn't half brighten up some of the pages. Um, it would, and, I mean, they're not expensive. Um, again, given what newspapers <laughs> will... <laughs> Look at his sad little <laughs> face there. <laughs> <laughs> and they're getting cheaper next week. <laughs> We, at the Spectator Party this year, um, some of us cartoonists um, collared um, Andrew Neil, who's publishing it effectively, and, um, and he was waxing lyrical about cartoons and says, oh, I'm a great fan of cartoons, I'm, I love cartoons, we've got to get more cartoons in the paper. And somebody said, well, look, um, if you like them so much, why don't you pay a little bit more for them? Because the rates for the Spectator remain the same for hundreds of years. And he just said... If we pay more, will they be any funnier? <laughs> <laughs> but websites... You could ask that about his hair. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you would think that websites websites would, would be keen on brightening themselves up by buying a cartoon. I mean, yeah. I've, I've tried to persuade some of the BBC programme websites that they would be considerably better people if they don't, had a cartoon. I mean, in this day and age, particularly in print journalism, I think people don't like having to pay any money at all because they're giving it in massive payoffs to former editors. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, yeah. It's true. I mean, the you know the, the, the you know, various newspapers I, I work for, they just don't want to to pay. And again, I think that's incredibly short-sighted. One one of the reasons I'm sure privatised has been successful for so long is the quality of the cartoons. It's the fact that you know next week there will be a cartoon by Honeyset and one by McLaughlin and one by Nick and Ken Pine, and and they will be genuinely funny. Um, and I'm sure that's one of the reasons. Um, People do it. When we were students, Nick and I did a fake um, student um, parody mag of Punch. <laughs> oh. Sorry, you, since you mentioned Ken Pine. Oh, Ken Pine. Now, Sorry. this is another of the, the strong veins, which is marital unhappiness. <laughs> yes, I wonder why that is. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just saying that there is a, um, a belief um, that um, cartoons should be put small to fill up spaces. Um, and I think, you know, for most readers, um, they'd like them a bit bigger and a few more of them. And you have to remember that as editor. It's everybody who I mean, takes, the, takes the mick out of the poor old punch, but at least they used to do full-colour pages and full-colour covers. And, it, and that's one of the... I mean, that's fantastic. When you have cartoonists of the quality of Albert, you know, who, who is just sort of magnificent, it, it is rather lovely to have them well, one of coloured the, up. The joys about doing this book is that we've had this... Uh, usually we're competing with the, the, the funny words to, to get the cartoons in. Um, and we've been able to publish the, you know, the McLaughlin is the size that they should be published. <laughs> and, uh, and the colour cartoons um, in, in, in half a page, which uh, you don't... I mean, in the old days... Next week, Nick's cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> but in the old days, uh, the, the reason that there were full-page McLaughlin's, because there weren't... There wasn't that much material in the magazine. <laughs> and, um, and Richard would often say, Richard Ingram would often say, oh, well, we're a bit sort of um, you know, uh, short of material. We'll put in a big McLaughlin. <laughs> and so you've got full pages. But, uh, but now we're, we're competing. We're yeah, competing, competing with, the, with words. the words. Give us another joke. Uh, this is just a short thing about readers before we open. Um, oh, oh, yes, yes. This is another bad taste cartoon. Now, <laughs> we published this joke, um, and a number of people wrote in saying this was very, very offensive. Um, and there was one particular letter I published, because I think it is, it's um, the best letter I've ever received at Private Eye. It was on the back of this joke. Um, a reader wrote in and said, Dear sir, I suffer from a bipolar condition. I saw your cartoon a week ago and I thought it was absolutely disgusting. Then I looked at it again a couple of days ago and thought it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a real reader and they are just, just funnier than us. Even than you. <laughs> oh, the, the pseudo-names, the pseudo-names, yeah.